In this episode of On The Road, we chat to not only a multiple world water ski racing champion, but one of Australia's finest all-round athletes. With an impressive resume, including the first ever female to win all three categories in the IWWF World Water Ski Racing Championships, juniors, Formula 2 women's, and Formula 1 women's, this skier has also competed at the elite level in the XFIT Games in 2016-17. Chatting with On The Ropes' very own world champion Chelsea Stevens, we get a fantastic insight into the challenges and the mindset of one of Australia's greatest ski racers, Ellen Jones. Welcome, Miss Ellen Jones. Thank you. Listeners, we are very privileged today to have uh, what I would say, one of the best female water ski racers in the world on the rope with us to hear the journey of the first ever female water ski racing athlete to win all three categories at the IWWF World Water Ski Racing Championships. This one, I am so excited, not only because you are an absolute superstar, Ellen, but you are also uh, a good friend of mine. And it's uh, quite funny because we were meant to be recording this in person this weekend uh, as you were flying down to run a half marathon with my husband and our uh, good friend Lucy Savona. But due to this coronavirus lockdown, once again, uh, we are on Zoom looking at each other through the screen. But I'm sure our conversation will be just as meaningful, but I would much prefer to have you here in my home in person and enjoy some time uh, down here in freezing cold Melbourne. So thank you and welcome. No, thank you for having me on. Yes, unfortunately, I will not be making the trip this weekend, but this will have to do for now. It will, but don't stress, babe. Apparently, it's going to be uh, eight degrees, 45 kilometre winds and raining tomorrow. So uh, my little girl Mia and I will comfortably sit in the car watching them try and run 21Ks in those conditions. So we'll, uh, <laughs> you'll, have to, you'll have to keep an eye on Strava and see how they all go. Yeah, I will. I'm going to actually do, I'm going to do it next weekend. I actually got shingles this week. So, well, last week. So <laughs> it probably worked out okay that I'm not running 21 kilometers this weekend, but I do plan on doing my own little one this weekend. So I'll have to uh, have a look at their times and make sure I keep up with it. <laughs> good girl. Good girl. Well, obvi- obviously run Melbourne has been canceled. So this is their own little half marathon as well. So Good to hear you getting on board. But, look, let's talk about you, all things Alan Jones. Excited to hear uh, all about it. And to get started, love to hear about how you got into the sport of, of water ski racing. Um, well, my story, I guess, is pretty different to most people's. Most people kind of got in through their families doing it. But my family just kind of social skied on the river on weekends. And one day we saw somebody skiing past on the Hawks River training with, like, a helmet and race ski and whatnot. And... I just decided that it looked fun and thought that I wanted to give it a go. So at nine years old, my parents took me to my first Tukli and from there, that's how I got started. How's that? So literally just a, a side bank watcher and just thought, what's this all about? Give me a go. Yeah, apparently. So I get told anyways. <laughs> so your little nine-year-old brain started kicking very early, analysing what was going on in the world and uh, you want to be a part of it. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. That's, that's really cool. So what what did you, you got started at the age of nine? What did water ski like water skiing or water ski racing mean to you to make you still be in the sport near 14 years later? Um, I guess for me, like I just instantly built a pretty big passion for the sport. Like obviously I absolutely love it to still have done it for so many years. And I'm just so competitive. And I guess I knew that I I could see you at, even at the age of nine or like building up through the years, the more, the harder you work, the better you get at it, the more successes you make. And I guess I was just eager to keep being successful. And yeah, I just started out at a young age, like after my first worlds, I set the goal to pretty much then and there to be the first female to win all three. Cause I knew that that was possible for me. Um, so yeah, once I set that goal and wanted to make it happen, I just kind of stuck to it. Yeah, amazing. I tell you what, I was a very proud team manager on the banks of Vichy when you pulled off that goal and to see your face and your team's face and family face, absolutely unbelievable. And it's so cool that we have an Australian water ski uh, racer to be the first ever female to win all three. Um, Look, who who inspired you to start that world's journey or was it all just personally self-driven? 
Um, I guess like the Wells journey in itself was pretty self-driven. Um, I definitely did always want to do the Wells, but I would say my biggest inspiration always has been and always will be Anne Proctor. I don't know. I just always like, yeah, just always inspired me and always kind of been my hero in the sport. And so I guess you could say definitely she could be the inspiration. <laughs> yeah, she's a pretty cool athlete. I must mention she was one of mine as well. But uh, look, knowing Anne, she's got three F1 Women's World titles. Does that uh, give you something to continue to strive for? Yeah, definitely coming off the back of um, last world's, I remember I was on a holiday. Jesse and I were in a place in, I don't even know, I think we are in like Croatia or something, and I started getting online and looking at how many world titles were the most to get won by women. I was like, right, maybe I can make it my goal to win those world titles. Um, but then obviously <laughs> now I'm like, who knows what's going on and whatnot um, with the sport and coronavirus and whatnot. So Definitely coming off the back of Last Worlds, I was fired up and ready to do that. But for me now, I guess it's just waiting and seeing what's to come from everything that's going on in the crazy world right now. Yeah, it's a bit of a time thing as well, isn't it? Let's hope, Mm. uh, you know, fingers crossed we can get back onto a world's like racing within 12 to 18 months and that might get you back on track. But it is, it's just the unknowns in the world worldwide at the moment. So Good news, the Olympics has kicked off though, so hopefully it's the start of international competitions um, and we'll see We'll see how we go. But yeah, look, 100%. This, this podcast is all about you and there's nothing more I want to hear about than, than your four world championship attempts in which I can say uh, I know that from the four times you've attended on the world stage, you have been crowned world champion three times in a row. Uh, junior girls in 2015, F2 women's in 2017, and F1 women's in 2019. Some extremely impressive stats there. But um, talking from my own uh, experience, I know that stats like that don't come off the back um, of, of something happening behind the scenes and years and years of dedication, determination, resilience, and consistent um goal setting and planning so Ellen I'm gonna literally the floor is yours I'd love you to talk us through uh, your world championship journeys yeah um well it does feel like a lifetime ago so like I said earlier my memory may be a bit foggy I'm, I feel like I'm suffering from short-term memory loss lately um but I guess I can start it back in 2013 um I was actually just talking to my dad before I came on and did this with you and I was talking to him trying to get him to a remind me of some things that happened in 2013 he actually reminded me that I started that world's campaign without crew like I pretty much apparently mum and dad were searching for ages to get somebody to tow me because back then uh juniors could still use inboards and no one was keen to tow me no one really um believed in my success and no one really was happy to kind of send a boat and inboard over to worlds for me if I did make it so I actually couldn't get a run for the first Worlds until I got a hold of um, Denny Napick and him and Darren Patterson were willing to tow me with an outboard. Um, and then, yeah, sorry, we're going to say something? No? So, yeah, then um, from there I ended up getting on with them and they started training me a bit. Um, surprisingly, I actually surprised myself making it to that Worlds as well. And then when I got there, I was obviously like, one of the only outboards in juniors so that was pretty overwhelming but it probably turned out for the better I learned to ski behind an outboard quite well and I actually don't know what it would have been like if I was behind the inboard to be honest um so yeah 2013 worlds I went better than I expected um however we did race that world's Rachel Stapleton and I were pretty tough competition and it did come down to the last race so I don't think I was expecting to finish as close to her when I went into that world. But then after the first couple of races, when I realized how close I was to her, I was so eager to actually be able to win that world. It's like, obviously you go over to a world with the plan to win, but I was just nowhere near her when I actually went into that world. So when I did get into it and I was so close to her and then I missed by so close, that definitely put, um, a lot of fire in my belly to then continue on with the rest of my world's campaign. So it was a really big, like, it was a kick in the guts, but it, yeah, definitely drove me to train a lot harder, be a lot smarter going into my next worlds and whatnot. Um, and then from there, 
I did my next junior worlds, which was in 2015. Um, and from there, everyone actually had to ski behind outboards. So it was like everyone was in my backyard, which was nice. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we did that worlds in um, New Zealand. So I don't actually remember a whole lot about that worlds. I just remember that yeah, it was in New Zealand. It wasn't that rough, which I was slightly disappointed by. Um, I, I think love I think uh, I think you've had a memory loss because it was in Windy Wellington, and one of the women's races got cancelled twenty five minutes in because it was so rough. So I think your comment about it being not that rough is slightly misleading to the listeners. Um, okay, maybe. <laughs> race, race one, race one was not that rough and then the last three were crazy rough in which one got yeah, cancelled 25 minutes in because it, yeah. was, uh, it was near unskiable and I think there was too much carnage on course, which I think you and I both didn't fall off, so that was a positive for us. Um, oh, I in actually that event, remember but, um, this now. I actually yes, remember yes. watching the women's. <laughs> I remember watching the women's actually, and it was so rough. And I thought they better not call this off. I want to ski in this, and then they caught it off, and I was so dirty. I do remember that actually. <laughs> oh, so you missed that day? You missed? Yeah, that day. I didn't get to ski on that day, and then they re-ran it on a day that I was the smoothest day. So maybe that's what I just remember. Okay, yeah. yes, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. <laughs> okay, no, back, it back was to, rough. Okay, it was rough. Back, back to Wendy Wellington. <laughs> um, yeah, there's not, I guess I don't really have, I trained like I did, I trained pretty hard for that world and that was probably like you could say my most smooth sailing, not smooth sailing, but um. The competition was tough, but it wasn't as tough as what I had to go up against when I versed Rachel in um, Tenerife. So I feel like I was pretty prepared for that world. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty lucky to get to take home the crown when I did the 2015 juniors. Um, yeah, and then from there we went on and I trained for the 2017 Worlds, which was in Seattle. Um and I definitely could say I was probably a little bit underprepared for that world. So I had done um, a bit of CrossFit and I guess my, I def- definitely look back on that now and can see that maybe my commitments were kind of torn. Um, I don't think that I was 100% committed to the worlds like you need to be when you're doing a worlds. And I look on, back on that now and know that. Um, so yeah, I went into that world a little bit underprepared. I definitely think so. Um, I I Kaz, I raced Kaz Fullington and we're very tough competition. She was very hard to race. She definitely has a very strong mindset, which is where I find I've always kind of been competitive with. Um, so that made that world really tough. Um, we were pretty neck and neck and I fell in the third race and hurt my knee pretty badly. So I pretty much all but tore my MCL and I was supposed to be in a brace for eight weeks, but I had to ski the last race and not get beaten by a set amount. Otherwise I wouldn't um, win the Worlds. And so that last race was so, so stressful. I remember the the two days before the last race, I was like going around doing cryotherapy, doing everything under the sun because my knee was so sore. And the last race I had to go out there and not get beaten by I think 50 seconds or or might have been like 53 seconds. And I knew like I was in absolutely no state to keep up. Like Kaz and I were racing neck and neck on the best of days. Um, And I think that she beat me by 50 seconds. So I think I won that Worlds by three seconds, which might have been two points on the board, which was just like a big slap in the face, that's for sure. I definitely learned my lesson, um, which was good. So, yeah, I definitely took from that that I was underprepared, didn't have my focus in the right place. Um, so going into my last Worlds, I definitely, like, I was all in 100%. I've definitely never been so focused and so prepared for a Worlds as I was for the 2019 Worlds. Um, I was lucky enough to crew up for that Worlds with Stinger. So I had Greg Houston driving and Danny Mappick observing, who had kind of been my observer for quite a few years. So he had observed since training for the Seattle Worlds. Um, Danny Cropper. Did I say Danny Cropper? Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. Uh, oh, my gosh. What am I thinking? Yep. 
Um, so yeah, they were just like such a great crew to crew up with. Um, so I definitely trained pretty hard for that one. I wanted to make sure that I was um, prepared as I possibly could be, but I think it got a little bit obsessive, to be honest. Like if I missed a day on the water or like if someone couldn't get out to tow me, I'd have bloody mental breakdowns. Oh my gosh, it got a little bit severe. <laughs> so yeah, um, training for that world, I made sure that I was out on the water like twice a week, training as hard as I could, putting myself in like tough mental situations because I just didn't want to leave um, anything on the table. I wanted to make sure that I was definitely prepared and that I couldn't potentially let it slip away from something silly. So, yeah, that's pretty and much that, that then. <coughs> I guess in 2019 too, it was your um, <clears throat> first big, first uh, time on the big stage in open women's and there was some pretty pretty big names amongst the mix of the field there. You had um, Madison Boyer or Maddie Boyer here in Victoria, obviously, uh, also one of our good mates. But um, you also had Sabine Ortlip from Austria uh, and Vicky Leeson's um, from Austria and a couple of USA girls as well. But, I mean, I know that myself, I, I wouldn't have known what name to put down on the table if someone asked me who was going to win between yourself, Maddie and Sabine. You were three of the best in the business for the last probably five, six years at the world's level. So it was um, it was a pretty pretty big lineup in regards to the top three fighting it out. 100%, 100%, yeah. I, don't, I didn't know myself, to be honest. You are supposed to back yourself all the time. But, yeah, I guess that comes down to why I was getting so, like, anxious and having, like, breakdowns if I couldn't get a run because I knew that it was going to be such tough competition when we got over there. And it was definitely tough competition. Yeah. Uh, look, I feel I feel your pain. I know that going into Seattle, I was the same. I would literally chuck tantrums like my now 18-month-old child does if someone tried to pull <laughs> out of a training session. I remember one yeah. day I rang four, 14 different boat, boat drivers trying to get a driver. Um, so, yeah, no, I can feel your pain there because you've you've set your goals and you've planned it out and you know what yeah. you're doing when, when something – Unlike uh, swimming or bike riding or, or marathon running, we can't do it solo. You need a team and um, and that's what makes it so difficult. You did mention in there that you said, um, I made sure that I, I put myself in all these challenging positions and I, you know, you got a bit upset when things didn't go your way and brought back a memory of mine, Ellen, that I want to jump back to in 2017 when you and I were both out of Brooklyn, just coincidence that we were training at the same time. <laughs> And uh, it was a very, very rough day. I was out there with uh, Daniel Cotton and Daniel Graziano, the two masters, uh, giving me, the apprentice, some education. And we uh, idle out and it was ginormous. And I've got, um, you know, I've got my rail on because the boys are like, it's big. And next minute I see, uh, there goes Ellen Jones pass on a freeboard. And I go to the boys, <laughs> what the hell is this girl doing? And, um, and I remember I got up and struggled to get around on a rail and, and, and I got in the boat and I go, how is she doing it on a freeboard? And Grat said, oh, look, she's come off about 10 to 15 times, but she's persistent. She keeps getting back up. <laughs> and, um, and, tell, so, and I remember afterwards I said to you, I said, Ellen, what are you doing? Why are you on a freeboard? And uh, your response was politely, well, that was the only way Jessie would observe for me if I went on a freaking freeboard and you were... You were furious. Do you uh, do you remember that training day out in Brooklyn? Yes, I definitely do. So at that time, um, Jesse was training a lot for his CrossFit and we all know that observing is not the pleasantest of jobs out in Brooklyn. It's pretty rough. And he told me the only way he would take me out is if I skied on a freeboard and I hadn't even ever skied on a freeboard out there and it was humongous. Oh, my gosh. I remember just going off the top of a swell and honestly pin dropping into the water and then face planting. <laughs> oh, and I was so sad. And I was like, this is the day I'm going to get eaten by a shark 100%. <laughs> 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 But is it the resiliency to me when I look back on that story? I think it's the resilience in you that has made you uh, the first ever female to win all three categories at the IWWF World Championships. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of athletes that wouldn't have stayed out there for an hour pin dropping off a freeboard um, <laughs> in conditions that I would say honestly would have been two to three metres swell. And I remember being on a rail struggling to push my ski forward enough to not fall off and I had bindings on. So, um, yeah, there's stories like that. And I think the good thing is to share something like that, the listeners don't see what happens behind the scenes. So 
You've just spoken through from 2013 to 2019, winning three world titles and, and getting a silver medal in the fourth um, like it was a breeze. But you and I both know that's not the case. And um, behind every athlete, there is one hell of, um, you know, there's one hell of a lot of hard work that goes on. There is times where you're out of bed at hours that you don't want to be out of bed. Um, give us a little bit of a, an insight into what a day in, in the in the lead up to a world championships would look like for you, especially Vici. You talk about how you left no stone unturned. Um, yeah, I, I did kind of just breeze over everything, didn't I? I should have probably dived in a little bit more. Um, uh, in regards to Vici, like you said, I did kind of set myself out a plan um, leading up to it. I am a big believer in kind of not tiring yourself out, and I think that my plan probably nailed right on the week of I think if I did another week of training like I did I would have been brown bread but um, I kind of planned out my weeks and I would make sure in every week I would go for a doubles run on the river because I knew people like Maddie that I was competing against was so strong at skiing fast and from what I had heard I knew you had to ski fast in that first part of Vichy um, and I also knew based off selections that like they these girls are definitely stronger than me in this fast part of the kind of racing. So I made a big effort after selections to get out on these, like I was on these humongous doubles. They were um, Cameron Osborne's doubles. So the boots were like three times too big for me. Um, but I would go out on them once a week just to try and make sure I like, I could get that time under tension, get my legs like nice and strong. And I just made sure I had whoever I could get to observe was out there observing for me. My mum actually... This is a funny story, but my mum, one day, my mum hated observing for me. One day I forced her to come out and observe and I actually hit a log and the fin got ripped out of one of the doubles. So I cartwheeled for so long and my poor mum, I've come back, I was so winded and my mum's bawling her eyes out in the boat. And I was like, oh my gosh, play it cool. You're not hurt. You're not hurt. <laughs> so yeah, I would make sure I got that doubles run in, rain, rain, hail or shine. That was a big priority. Um, I also would do a lot of um, bike erg intervals. So Jesse would write me up these kind of intervals on a bike. I don't know if you guys have heard of a bike erg, but I think you probably have one. But it kind of they blow up your quads quite similar to the way skiing does, in my opinion. Um, anyway, Jesse would set me these targets that I remember so clearly. I would do them every Tuesday morning and um, Jesse's mum would actually come out in the gym with me on Tuesday mornings. and. I would cry every single Tuesday because he would make the targets so hard, but I wouldn't not get to them, but getting them to the targets would mean that I would cry because <laughs> I was so just, I was like, not, my, I guess my mentality that I wouldn't let myself fall short of them, but yeah, I would push my body so hard that it would end up in tears. So that was one big component of my training. Um, I definitely just made sure I got them in. I trained CrossFit like five, da five days a week on top of that. I also made sure I did like another big endurance session once a week, whether it be like rowing, running, skiing, and then I would ski a second time a week. So I made sure I kind of just had a list of things that had to get done in a week and I made sure that I got them done. Um, and I guess I'm also, uh, this caused me a lot of fights as well with Jesse, leading up to the Worlds, but um. When I've always skied with Danny Cropper, he, he's a big believer in kind of like pushing yourself in your training runs to your um, 80, 90%, I guess. Um, and I got so used to doing that in my Seattle Worlds. At the beginning of my um, species Worlds, Danny was really sick. So I actually had to get different people to observe. And a lot of the time it was Jesse. And Jesse wouldn't um, take my ups and he wouldn't let me ski on the edge or be loose. And so we ended up gluing a lot in the boat because <laughs> he was like, no, you're too out of control. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and he stopped observing for me. So I had to find a new observer. <laughs> um, uh, look, I think, I think having your partner observe for you is always riddled with danger. I've had a few scenarios where that's been the case as well. I think it's best for the relationship to uh, yeah, keep them separate. <laughs> yeah, I learned that lesson. Uh, I learned that lesson quickly, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, I guess in summary, like a big thing for me or a day in life, I feel like I went on a bit of a tangent then, but a day in the life of training for me leading to that visual world is like 
I always pushed myself to my absolute limits. I made sure that I had rest days like programmed in there so I could recover physically and mentally, but definitely just like you do need to push your body and be fit enough, but training your mind mentally is just so important in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, that was a quick summary of a week in the life of leading to worlds, I guess. <laughs> it's um, it's cool that you just at the end touched on that because I was about to ask it and you touched on it, is that training your mind. Did you train your mind through pushing yourself to the extreme or was there mental training, meditation, creative visualisation, anything you did alongside the physical or was the physical enough for you to be mentally strong enough? Um. I guess if I can like jump it back a few years to kind of explain my mental training. Um, back when I did 2013 Worlds, I did a lot of training with Alex Ross. Um, he just took me on and helped me with a lot of my training, but his training, like it wasn't really about being fit. It was a lot about mental training. And I don't think if I, I, like I guess my mentality, yes, is competitive, but if I didn't do that with him, I don't think I would have had the mental strength that I do today. So he really put a lot of focus in training your mind mentally and pushing yourself beyond points so that you're ready for those situations. And I guess as I've developed fitness and become fitter, I've just taken that on board with it. Um, so I, when I had done Vichy Worlds, I kind of had already had the mindset of knowing how to push my mind mentally and then yeah, I just kind of continued to take that on. I wouldn't say I ever did meditation, probably should have done meditation. But yeah, for me, it was just like pushing my mind's limits on the regular so that I knew that any kind of uh, mental situation that was thrown at me, I'd be able to take it on board. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that by the sound of what you've just said, then it's you have had that mental training early on, and you've just continued to carry it. But totally agree with you you can't do one or the other you've got to have the mental strength and the physical strength but I agree I found that as I got the physical strength and knew that I had trained every day left no stone unturned that the mental strength is accelerated through knowing that you are prepared like you said you went to Vichy knowing you were prepared and and there was times in Vichy when it could have been anyone's the first few races it's there was a few different people on the podium, on the top podium, as you know, and um, and you were the one that held that consistency through the championships, and that takes mental and physical strength. So it's um it's good to get a bit of insight. And Alex Ross, man, isn't he awesome? Like anyone that can front flip and back flip on a water ski and side and slide, <laughs> he's he's definitely yes. he's definitely the man. That's for sure. He's um yeah. he's one of the best. Now. One of my, uh, it's, one thing I loved out of everything you just said, Ellen, is that you cried in the gym. And um, I, I, I'm glad to hear that because I would be shocked if any water skiing world champion hasn't cried in the gym. I had a, definitely had a few crying sessions, like you said, where I'm an hour and 30 minutes into a Craig Burton program and realised I've still got probably a quarter to go and think, what the hell is this? four I only ski for 45 <laughs> minutes um, and I think sometimes isn't it I think it's pushing to the boundary and that mental past your mental barrier that you even knew was there and then sometimes you do break into tears but at the end of the day you know you've got to do it so I'm glad that a three-time world champions also cried in the gym you just made me feel a little bit better about myself so thank you <laughs> oh, I'm glad I'm glad it made you feel better <laughs> now I'm um, my uh, co-presenter, Mr. Dave Bishop, Bishop, had a question. He wanted to know, how do you prepare for a, for a world like Vichy when the water conditions were never going to be able to be um, replicated here in Australia? You all trained for something that you couldn't replicate in Australia. Was there anything different you did or you just followed the normal? You've, ta you've talked about the doubles um, and the speed at the start. Uh, that was more your. That was more to increase your your weakness. But what yeah. about in the fact of like concrete walls? You're racing in a canal. Like it's like a channel here in Australia that you girls were racing. They're only 60, 70 meters wide, and they're concrete walls, uh, and you can't replicate that. So is there any way, or you just ran with the Brooklyn still and just um, muscled through? Um, no. So actually, I guess Brooklyn was always my my home training ground, I kind of had always trained there for my first three worlds. But when I started skiing with um, Stinger, they actually trained at Bonnie Bay, which I was like, oh, very uncomfortable about the situation to begin with because you learn to love where you train. Um, 
And when I, it actually turned out to be probably for the better. So at Botany Bay, we kind of just did a little short course and I hated it originally. I couldn't hate anything more than doing small laps uh, for bloody an hour straight. All I wanted to do was go back to Brooklyn and do nice big laps, go down the coastline. But it honestly, <laughs> the more and more I did it, I realized it was for the better because I was going to have to do short, small laps when I got over there. But in terms of the water, there was honestly no way to replicate it. Like we, I definitely, all of us, were, unless you had skied like over in Belgium, you were definitely going into the unknown. And I knew that first race definitely was the unknown that's for sure <laughs> mm. yeah that's um it's true I've been privileged to do a diamond race and there is no way you could replicate those conditions here in Australia it's just totally impossible canals are just a beast of their own but you did yeah. just explain so Bisho Bisho there's your answer mate she <laughs> went to Botany Bay and she did short sharp laps which uh, as you said, Ellen, that would send any water skier crazy because you're just literally an hour of doing short, sharp laps. But that's what you did in Vichy. So by the time you got there, you were you were used to it. Yeah. Yeah. But in saying that, doing short laps and or whatnot, I definitely, yeah. You, either to, the real answer to his question is you can't duplicate it, in my opinion. I just remember yeah. skiing over and thinking like, wow, I have never, ever skied over waves like this in my whole life. It was just crazy. Yeah. Don't worry, yeah. I was uh, 20, 26 weeks pregnant and I was happy to be standing on the bank cheering you all on, that's for sure. <laughs> um, oh, my, was, uh, my family um, actually would never go down the rough end to watch me because they just said that it I was too loose and I was too out of control. So they just wouldn't even watch me down there. Well, as you know, my husband was out there in F2 men's and I was very similar to your family. I just didn't go down the rough end at all uh, because I just didn't want to put my body through that sort of stress level. To be no, honest, I, I didn't want to put it through with any of you. I was so <laughs> um, I was so nervous for every, every Aussie skier. So I was just sitting under the uh, team tent, counting laps for you and doing your time. So that was about it. So, yeah, it was... Sorry. No, you go. Oh, no, I was just going to say it was definitely touch and go. I don't think even like even if you felt like you had it under control down there, which I don't think anyone probably really did, you definitely didn't look like you had it under control. Even the like the best of skiers still looked loose down there. Exactly. Yeah, totally agree. Now, you mentioned through your World Championships talk uh, how you went into 2017 probably slightly unprepared. And you, um, you know, faced a few challenges because of that and winning that world title by three points, which nearly could have shattered your whole three in a, three in a row and winning all three categories back to back to back. Um, but you pulled through by three points off the amazing Karen Follington, who actually had made a comeback into the sport not long prior to, so impressive effort on her behalf. But as part of that journey, when you spoke through that, you mentioned the word CrossFit. Now, I think we have to notify the listeners um, that no, no wonder you went into that slightly unprepared or slightly imbalanced in regards to where your focus was because, correct me if I'm wrong, but you attended the 2016 CrossFit Games as an athlete, uh, as an Australian athlete, as part of the CrossFit Games teams in juniors. Um, and as for those listeners who know the sport of CrossFit, that is absolutely phenomenal to make the top 10 to be able to attend CrossFit Games whilst also uh, part of the world team to go and, and ski over uh, in Seattle. So love to hear a bit about that experience. You sort of, again, undersold yourself. Oh, I was juggling CrossFit and water skiing, but you forget, failed <laughs> to mention that you actually attended the CrossFit Games. It's just absolutely phenomenal. I'm just in awe of what you've achieved from such a young age. But let, let us hear a little bit about that experience and how it differed, how CrossFit Games differed from a world, world championship. Um, yeah, so pretty much it started in 2016. Well, I've kind of done CrossFit throughout my um 2015 Worlds campaign so I was obviously doing it quite a bit for training for ski racing um, and I thought I'd give the Open a bit of a crack because my partner was already doing it whatnot um, so I did the Open for CrossFit whilst I was skiing with you during the 2016 uh, two-up season so I remember um, kind of training for doing the Open and then I would 
but he jump in the car and drive to Victoria and then ski. I do not know how I did it now looking back on how in the world did I do that? But yeah, so I ended up making that just, I actually just don't even know how I still say that it was kind of a fluke, but it was kind of top 10 worldwide got to go across and do the teens for the 16 to 17 divisions. And I guess it was just such a different experience to ski racing because while I am a very competitive person, I obviously wanted to go well. I remember at the start before events, I wouldn't feel the way I feel before races, like the immense amount of pressure that I put on myself to be successful in ski racing. And also obviously there's the nerve of it being an extreme sport, like your stomach churns in a completely different way that it would when you're going out to do some exercise against some people. So the experience in that regards of being nervous and whatnot was completely different, but it was something that I definitely take on, like doing another sport in a competitive way, like learning how to exercise under such high intensity was something that I was able to take on board and then help me with my training even further. And yeah, it was just, it was cool to definitely um, do something different and compete against like amazing athletes across the world in something completely different. That's for sure. Um, But yeah, that's about that. But I guess then, yeah, going on from there, I continued kind of juggling CrossFit and ski racing. So that's what led to my, um, my kind of focus being quite split when I went into that 2017 Worlds because I did the um, 2017 regionals as a team athlete in Australia. And that was like two months before I flew out for Worlds in July. So definitely something that made it touch and go for me when I was in Seattle. <laughs> oh, you just top 10, top 10 in the world um, to get to those CrossFit games, 16 to 17-year-old too, so it's just unbelievable. That in itself sells how you've had such a strong mindset. But I love the point where you just touched on it. It was a very different churn in the gut in the fact of you said, I was just going out to train against other athletes in comparison to water ski racing where it is an extreme sport. There are risks. Um, and I think in, uh, some of the listeners, no doubt, are in awe of us female water ski racers because, I, I don't know, people always said to me, especially family members and stuff that don't ski race, their aunties, uncles, cousins, like, do not fear for your life. Do you not get worried doing those sort of speeds? But for me, it's the adrenaline that I love so much about the sport. I just loved going fast. I loved getting challenged in the bay. I just loved, I, don't, I loved the fear factor of the sport. Um, is that something that, that kept you engaged in the sport as well? Like you just, you sort of compared the two, like, oh, CrossFit's just working out with other people and <laughs> skiing, you know, skiing gets my gut churning. I'm like, whoa, I'm about to do this, you know. Is that something that's kept yeah. you in the sport? A hundred percent. Like I guess that's why we do it. Otherwise everyone would do the sport if it wasn't for the kind of the thrill of the adrenaline. And like I said, like even just going out and training, like I liked to ski at my 90%, I want to be on edge because that's the challenge that skiing brings to me. Like if I'm out there twiddling my thumbs and I'm like, what's the point of doing this right now? (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah. definitely the thrill and the adrenaline rush is so important to keep you going in it. I I agree. I totally agree. And I think that's why we are so driven to train so hard too. I know that all gym sessions that I daily used to train as well for river racing and for world titles. And I think the gym sessions – you were just in your mind, no, you're like, this has got to get done and it's got to get done at high intensity and it's got to be hard and I've got to be pushing myself to the edge because on that ski, that's where I want to be and you can't be there safely without doing all that behind-the-scenes stuff. So um, it was just really cool that you, I've never heard, I've never asked that direct question, what, what's the difference between being on the CrossFit Games floor to a on the deck of a boat before you started a world's race and you just absolutely hit the nail on the head in regards to how you felt. So thanks for sharing that with us. It's, it's really cool. But, uh, look, you have sustained such a high level in this sport for so long and from such a young age. Like you competed in your first world title when you were, what, 13, 12 years old. Uh, so <laughs> I'd love to know how, how have you sustained that success and your body and mind sustained that success? Um, I think I, I guess when I was skimming over things, I've touched on this very briefly, but I've always been such a big believer in not burning yourself out. And I know that it is something that does happen to a lot of people when they start so young. So for me, like I made sure not to let people when I like, I know you probably know this too, but you hear about your competitors training and they're out skiing. You're like, oh my gosh, I better get out skiing for the next worlds. But I actually, if I kind of knew that I could do selections 
without being out and doing lots of training on the water, I would prolong training on the water until I had actually made the team. So pretty much for each world, I didn't do very much on water training until selections was done because uh, for me, training on the water and going out to Brooklyn and going out to Botany Bay is something like I genuinely enjoy doing. Whereas if I was to do that for a whole year leading up to Worlds, I think I would lose the love for it. So I made sure that like training for that, going out on the water was something that kind of only got done and really amped up in like the last four months, five months leading up to Worlds and then definitely just went hard from there on out. And then once Worlds was over, I would stop for a while, have a bit of a break, um, only do kind of the races that came up, wouldn't do heaps of skiing out training, do selections and then like hit training really hard out in the ocean again. So, yeah, for me, it was just definitely kind of um, making sure that I wasn't consistently doing it, giving myself breaks so that I could still love it rather than it be a chore. Really, really good information to share. And I think extremely critical part to sustaining success is making sure that you love it. You use that word a few times. You know, I love training in Brooklyn. I didn't want to use, lose the love for it. And it's so true, you know, you don't want it to become a burden, right? We do this because we love it. We're, we're unfor- unfortunately amateur, you know, unpaid athletes. Uh, it'd be super cool if we could be paid athletes and do this as a job, but we don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and if anything, it costs us a lot of money. I remember that my, most of my university and high school studies was based on the fact that I needed money to water ski. So, um, you know, it costs money. It doesn't make money. So you need to love it. And that's what we do it in. Um, there's this really cool motivational video that's like, you know, if you don't love it, you ain't going to make it type thing, you know, and it's so true. You just, you got to love it. you got to want to jump out of bed at 4, 5 a.m. to get down there in Botany Bay or Brooklyn and hit the water, don't you? So some, uh, some, some great feedback there. Look, we can't do this sport without a circle of people, as we spoke about when you and I both had tantrums over people pulling out of training last minute. Um, and so important to know who, who's in your circle, who's been. I know you, thankfully, thank you for explaining all your world's crews. So we're across all of those. And you and I share one thing in common I just found out, which I actually did know but didn't link, that Darren Patterson observed for both of us in our first ever junior worlds. Mine, uh, this might illustrate our age gap, although we're very good friends. Uh, mine in 2001 and yours in 2013. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Pat observed for both of us, which is pretty cool. And I think a good observer to yeah. have on a junior Junior Worlds, because he, uh, he, you know, what he doesn't miss a beat. That bloke, I don't know how, um, you know, how he knows what, boy, when you're comfortable and when you're not, but he does. But uh, who, yeah. who was critical in your circle outside of just your crews? Because I know the crews get the recognition, but for me personally, there was five or six people that weren't in my race crew that absolutely helped me win uh, my world title, and I have have no doubt without those six people that trained and did all the hard work and hours and hours behind the scenes uh you know I yeah. wouldn't have I wouldn't have become a world champion so who was in your circle um well obviously definitely my family like I've been fortunate enough that I'm raised from such a young age that obviously like without my family support and without their funding then none of it would have been ever possible so my family definitely hits top of the list that's for sure um, my partner, Jesse, I've been with him since I was a spring chicken. So um, he <laughs> pretty much have been with him since I was literally 14. So he's obviously been such a big support. And he, like, from pretty much from my New Zealand worlds, he's been the one who's helped me with training, who's helped push me mentally. He's a bit of a um, tough person to please. So you're always trying to make sure, like, you're achieving his targets and everything. So definitely he's a person who's... um helped me physically and mentally but in regards to last worlds definitely could not have done my training without um Bob Robinson so Stephen Robinson and Jack Houston they were like my absolute rocks for training they were they had no obligation to take me training but they were always there for me and always supporting me um and in the back end of my world's campaign I had a lot of help also from um Carter Robinson's dad Paul he took me out training a lot and then he, they, their observer, Evan. So I was very lucky to have a few people who just really helped me get through that were outside of my crew, but definitely big emphasis on um, Bob and Jack and especially Jack Houston. He was just like, he honestly did everything for me last month. He would drive me to training, he'd take me on my doubles runs. He like, I could not have done that well without him being there for me. That's for sure. 
Yeah, it's good to share the names because we just I just know the amount of effort that goes into winning these world titles and those people in the background, although they don't expect recognition, they 110% deserve it. They make uh, they make us look good, that's for sure. So, uh, you know, Bub Robbo, I love that guy, and he was also your team captain. So he also got to enjoy... <laughs> He got to enjoy your world championship open women's win as your team captain. So at least his uh his training paid off for him as well. He got a gold medal. So good on, <laughs> yes. on Bubster. And I also know he's a uh, frequent attendee in your gym as well. So <laughs> when he goes to gym. <laughs> when he goes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, he frequently cool. attends once a week. Good boy. <laughs> well, once a week's better than none, isn't it? So uh, look, I uh gotta jump in here. Julie, hope Julie Jones, well, no doubt she's going to listen. She's your mum, but block your ears, Julie. Uh, you did mention that you and I got to ski together when you were competing in the CrossFit Games and you were an absolute trooper scooting down to Victoria to ski with me. Uh, at the time, you were 16 years old, and I think my our observer for that season and my observer, Christian Apps, continually reminded me that you're only one year older than his daughter and he didn't feel that safe and correct pulling you uh, as quick as we were back then. But I remember we had a pretty cool race and you had absolute, like I think you competed on the Friday or you had to compete the Monday or something for the CrossFit Games to get into the CrossFit Games and that was the Robinvale 80 and you came down and um, I remember you just being so nervous about it all because you're like, I haven't done much skiing and got the CrossFit Games on. I was like, babe, stress less. We're having some fun. We had Trent Sauer, the big Merc Force <laughs> F1 machine. And um, we're like, literally, it's just going to be fun. And I remember Julie saying to Apsy, don't pull her over 100 and don't do this and um, <clears throat> don't do that. And Apsy's like, oh, my God, you know, I keep forgetting this girl's nearly the age of my daughter. And um, and that race, we went on and and won Open Women's and got the race record in that uh, 2016 Robinvale race. And uh, Julie, as I said, block your ears because I think we actually hit 111 or 112 mile an hour or something in that race. Uh, which was all you waving up because we said it's your race, Ellen. You you do what you want. Um, but, yeah, I remember you being so stressed because you were sort of like, I don't do much of this river racing quick stuff and all of this. And um, I tell you what, girl, you definitely pulled it off that day, that's for sure. Yeah, I remember that actually. I, I remember my um, my dad actually was at home looking at the race safe and it came up with our top speed. <laughs> And he called my mum straight away and told her how fast we went. <laughs> I was going to say, was that pre-race safe days? But clearly not. So um, I'm sure no, Julie was not pre-race safe. Oh, shit. Well, that's not good, is it? We can't hide that. But anyway, nah. six, nah, six, six. I remember getting back to the bank, hearing what time we'd done and all of that, and, and then sort of looking at you going, oh, my God, you're 16 years old. Like, what have we just done? But anyway, we were, we pulled it off and, and you wanted it. So we uh, that was pretty cool. Like, it's a pretty cool memory for me anyway, that's for sure. Now, I... Uh, yeah, it was definitely cool. Yeah. And, and, uh, and as you said, we love going fast, us girls. That's why we do this crazy sport of water ski racing. So... Um, I tell you what, I can't wait to get back on the ski. At 37 weeks pregnant, sitting here waiting for this baby to come out so I can get back on the ski, that's uh, one of my main goals post this nut baby number two is to get back out there, that's for sure. <laughs> I hope my not mum's not listening now because she'll ring and abuse me for that comment. <laughs> well, how funny that nah. we're still scared of our parents, although we're uh, adults, but anyway. Now, want to... You mentioned how Bub come to the gym and uh, you obviously, you, you mentioned how Jesse's a hard taskmaster and has been a CrossFit Games athlete from a regional perspective and team um, regional perspective on multiple occasions. So he's a, he's a well-profound athlete himself in the CrossFit world, uh, your partner, Jesse Burns. But I know that you have had some involvement training some of our junior athletes. Um, and I know a lot of our juniors look up to you. You're an absolute superstar. We're very lucky to have an athlete and um, someone of your intelligence level in our sport. And I know that, yeah, you've taken some of them on board and training them in yours and Jesse's gym down in the Hawkesbury there. Um, can you give us a little bit of insight into sort of what you do and, and how that little side business works for you? Um, yeah, I do train a couple of juniors here and there um, for people who obviously want to get stronger and whatnot for ski racing. Um, and mainly we just, I just focus on getting them like a little bit stronger because I have found, I found throughout my years when I was younger, as soon as I 
became a bit stronger skiing was just instantly a whole lot easier. So getting quite a bit more strength, but just learning how to like tackle harder workouts. Like I said, building up a bit of the mental training um, to prepare them for skiing and yeah, just like a bit of that aerobic, like long distance workouts, kind of knowing how to get through that mentally. That's mainly what I focus on with them there. And a little birdie told me though, that you take that service one step further and you actually reach out to all your junior athletes post races ask them how they felt, if they felt any weaknesses um, so that you can then uh, tailor their programs back in the gym. Is this correct? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I always mm. will chat to them post-race, like when I see them kind of the following week and make sure that we are getting on top of any problems that they might have faced when they are racing. So, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I see you as a junior myself and here you are coaching our next generation and I just love that. It's so inspiring that we've got an athlete like yourself that is putting time back in. I'm sure you are well aware how much I am passionate about juniors in the sport of water ski racing and the future of our sport um, down here, especially in Victoria where I can try and make a difference. But it's good that we've got someone like yourself up there doing a very similar thing and supporting the juniors. And um, off the back of that, love to get your take on Junior Worlds. What's your opinion about Junior Worlds? Do you think it's good for athletes to be thrown into such a competitive environment at a young age? Or, uh, you know, have you of the views where you think that potentially we could wait until we're 18 and, and, and older to actually attend the world stage? Um, I do know this is quite a controversial topic that does get spoken out about throughout skiing, but I being someone who has competed in two junior worlds myself and continued on so many years later, like I am a huge believer in junior worlds. But in saying that, like people who are doing junior worlds have to be doing it for themselves. Like I think in the sport of ski racing, in any worlds, you have to do it for yourself for you to, like I said, enjoy it, still love it for many years down the track. Like I know a lot of people are concerned about junior worlds burnouts and all the rest of that. But I, like I said, I believe if people are in there doing it for themselves, not going too crazy with the training, just doing what they need to do to make it happen, then there's the potential for people not to burn out. I think people probably burn out when they lose their love for it. Um, so yeah. my take on junior worlds, I, I'm a believer in it and I would love to see it continue happen. That's for sure. <laughs> well, that's good. And you are right. It is a controversial topic. And I'm, uh, to be honest, I'm a bit of a fence sitter because I agree with everything you've just said for an athlete like yourself. But then I also do see athletes where there's mm -hmm. potentially more pushing behind the scenes and then we lose them out of the sport post junior worlds because it's all been too much. And as you said, they begin that phase of hating training and hating the sport. So I think there is a, I, I depend, the hard thing is it does come down to the individual athletes uh, and at such a young age, that's where it is really hard decisions. I'm a fence sitter. I, I'm like you. I did juniors when I was, um, you know, just turned 15 years old and I was in the sport 26 years later um you know so I think I think um I think that you I think it depends on the individual but it is a very yeah. controversial topic and it's good to get your opinion because I think it's important that we we hear about all the different athletes who have competed at the junior levels and how that's affected them so so thanks for sharing that with us off the yeah, back of that, fine. you've been uh, you've been in the sport, like I said, near fourteen years yourself. Who would you have to say would be one of the toughest competitors over your whole journey, from um, right through? Who's someone that you just always used to roll up to a race and think, "Oh gosh, not you again." To be honest, I guess every world's like you, you, you've obviously go up against people um, different every worlds and worlds to world like every single time I've had tough competition but I would guess like when you say that the first person that comes to my mind is Rachel Stapleton um I guess I raced her in that first worlds and we were honestly like there was photos of us where it could have looked like we were skiing together we were just kind of like neck and neck the whole way and from there every single time that we've raced pretty much we we actually always end up neck and neck so but I wouldn't say I don't think oh god I actually enjoy racing her so much because it challenges me so much and I've always said that I would have loved to have got to do an F1 Worlds against her but unfortunately I never got to do that um just because yeah she just is just my person that I always I've always um had tough competition against but in saying yeah. that like Kaz Follington was so hard to race and Maddie and Sabine too were just like 
such tough competition to beat. So I can't say that they weren't tough as well. No, they're all tough. But what you mean is, and um, Rachel's your girl that's always, you race Rachel yeah. a lot more too. Like for me, it's it's Maddie. And I think it's because in New South Wales, you and Rachel would race a lot. And in Victoria, yeah. Maddie and I race a lot. But I'm like you, it was never like, oh, no, Maddie's here. It was like, oh, do we want to go to that race if Maddie's not going? Like it's sort of you enjoy yes, that competition. Yeah. And it's your person because you're 100%. racing against them majority of the time. Like you're always up against them. So you're you're always challenged against them. So no, everyone's a tough comp- competitor. There's no doubt about that. But there's always usually someone in your journey that's been there, a fair chunk of it, pushing you to your limits. I remember one um, Wagga, Maddie and I actually drew to the hundredth of a second, like the judges are like, which we can't. <laughs> and we, we started, like Maddie started pole four or five or something, and I started pole 15 in Wagga. Like we weren't even near each other. So we're at totally different sections of the course at all times, and we drew. Like it's like that's how close our racing was for our whole careers, like which is so cool because, like you said, you want that. You don't want to be out there by yourself. You need that. Yeah. And then you both like get it- better because you're both pushing. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like I used to think like if you're going to a race where you didn't have a couple of people that you knew were going to challenge you completely, you're like, oh, what's the point of even going today? <laughs> so you always exactly. want to make sure like that's why you do the sport, I guess, to be constantly challenged. So, yeah. Agreed, agreed. The challenge is what we're all chasing. That's what we all train for. So you – um. What's the be- if you if I said to you I want one of the best fitness tips and best dietary tips you've ever received? What would you feed out to the listeners? Um, this one kind of stuns me a little bit. Um, I don't really have a dietary trip to be honest. Um, I I couldn't actually tell you that one. I've just Lucy's not sure. going to be happy with that comment. I know, honestly, she's not. <laughs> at least, but I don't at least say a balanced plate, a balanced plate. Yeah, or something. definitely. <laughs> I think that, I, like, for me, it's just making sure you're feeling your body. Like, obviously, you can't. I definitely think, like, calorie deficits or not eating enough food is definitely not the way to go when you're training hard for a sport like this, making sure you're eating plenty of food. That's definitely my diet, my diet trip. Um, so you're on, so tip. you're on the same um you're on the same page as the nudie foodie then for those that yeah those listen those <laughs> listeners that don't have the nudie foodie on um on Instagram Lucy Savona one of our very own water ski racing female athletes as well uh, she she is massive on as Alan just said fueling the body and fueling the body appropriately not starving yourself so jump on uh, at the nudie foodie and check that out hey Ellen. Yeah, hopefully I did uh, Lucy Proud in that comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and from, a, from a fitness perspective, it doesn't have to be an actual workout. It can be like actual consistency or um, you know, whatever you think is the best thing that someone's given you in regards to fitness advice to keep, keep at the top of your game. Um, in regards to fitness advice, probably making sure you have scheduled rest days. Like it's so important. Like, like I said, those last few months leading up to like what you're training for making sure that you're getting rest in and recovering your body is so important and, and it's funny because well I, i've got one that i'll share in a sec but it's funny that you say rest days right like as if like you've got to have them because most people would be like oh god i love rest days but when you're in the zone i remember in the lead up to both new zealand worlds and seattle worlds when a rest day was thing like in my thing i would like be like can i do yoga can i can i at least do this like i would just yeah. not want to rest because i'm like my competition mightn't be resting. And my trainer would be like, you need to rest your body. So you're going to rest. You're not going to do anything. You want to stretch for five minutes, go ahead. But, um, you know, I think, I think it's hard as an athlete to rest, which sounds crazy for some listeners, but it is, that's an awesome tip. Um, I, one of, one of the best tips that I received was off Wayne Moore. And he said to me, um, you know, the only person that's going to get you out of bed at 4 and 5 a.m. in the morning to train is yourself. He's like, if you think anyone else cares about your success, you are wrong. And I just remember, like, it just embedded in my head and it embedded in my head just in life in general. If you think anyone else is going to come and help you win something or achieve your goals, you're wrong, including your own partner. Like, no one else can do it. You've got to do it yourself. And I think to me, that was the best fitness tip because it wasn't about a workout. It wasn't about a certain way to do something. It was like, if you want to get it done, you've got to do it. Like, there's so, and that comes back to that. What happens behind the scenes? Like, everyone sees us at the Southern 80 or at the world titles on the deck of the boat or getting that, you know, first place trophy. And they're like, 
oh, wow, how lucky. That's so cool. But they don't realize that we've done like 20 to 30 hours of work every week behind the scenes to make that happen, you know, and it's just, it's so yeah. true. Like I just think yeah, rest like days, yeah, rest days mixed with the fact of coming to the realization you're the only one that's going to make it happen is um is pretty is pretty important. Now we have um held you up for a fair bit of your time. Not that there's much we can both do in lockdown, hey, but yeah, um, no, don't have many places to be right now. <laughs> no, we're both we're both pretty uh safe to keep chatting. But uh what I do want to know is what's in the future for you? Like where are you where are you heading? And this is just um and and what what's who's Ellen outside of ski racing? Like ski racing's one party of life, but where are you heading from a sport perspective, but also from a, a professional perspective? Because this was something I did pick your brain on last time we are caught up down here in Melbourne and um, and you had a massive career shift. And I was like, hang on a minute, that's not what you were doing. So <laughs> who, who's Ellen outside of ski racing? Yeah, well, I guess originally I always, I do, I am passionate about the health and fitness scene and obviously I've grown up training my whole life. So I always thought that I would want to do something in the health and fitness kind of industry, but um, I guess I had a bit of a career shift probably about a year and a bit ago now and I'm doing construction management degree. So I learned outside of ski racing is a lot of study, a lot of work and just that back and forth really, study and work. <laughs> but yeah, I'm currently doing that degree and then with the hopes to do um, project management in the future. So yeah, that's me. So we might see the um, sexy three-time blonde water ski racing world champion on a job site with a hard hat telling all the boys how to do their job. That's the goal. That is the goal. Uh, and I usually try and work pretty hard to make my goals happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's so, it's so good. It's so actually, it's it's so good to hear that you are, uh, you know, considering a, a, a career in project management, which is probably heavily male driven career as well to be honest so that's that's really cool well thanks for sharing that that's very interesting uh, we'll see ellen jones amongst the uh men on the job site love it it is good mind you you'll be the big boss lady in the office you won't have to go out to the dirty job sites much but uh good to know what you're doing outside of the sport of water ski racing but what does the future hold inside the sport of water ski racing i know there's some uncertainty at the moment but let's pretend we're going to get over that little COVID 19 uh a disaster and we're back on the water uh what's your what's your thoughts moving forward for the sport of water ski racing um yeah given that if COVID is to uh go in kind of the near future my goal obviously would be to continue on I'd love to um keep doing like the classics I was loving them like I said before this all happened like I was absolutely loving ski racing loving all the classics so the goal would be to kind of continue on doing them um, and then see where it all goes. Um, for me, like doing another world and not whatnot is definitely about making sure I have the right crew behind me. So I wouldn't jump in and say a hundred percent that's where I'm going, but I'm definitely not closed off to any of that. That's for sure. The world is still your oyster. You're uh, still got a fair few years ahead of you, and uh, in between now and then, you've had a nice rest as well. So I'll give you some time to rethink and and rebalance and get back into it. And uh, you're yeah, going to head down definitely. to Victoria in October. You and I are in a bridal party together, the uh, Cuff wedding. So let's, uh, I can't wait for that. And we'll be able to have a bit of a dance floor and cocktail session that weekend, I have no doubt. So we uh, we love sure. having you down here. We, we always laugh, don't we? Because I think you've skied with more Victorian females in river racing than you have with New South Wales. <laughs> so we've we pretty much own you. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much Victorian. <laughs> yeah, we would look, we are more than happy to claim you, our three-time world champion. Uh, we're happy to have you here in Victoria. All of us Victorian girls love you. We've tag team scheme with you, that's for sure. And uh, everyone's really enjoyed always having you on your uh, you on their team. You're an absolute asset to any team. So I'm sure if there is another world champion in the uh, championships in the near future, it won't take you long to find the right crew to make it happen. So, look, Ellen Jones, love you to death, girl. You are an absolute superstar of the sport. I am just in awe of the fact that from an age, very very young age, uh, you've competed in four back-to-back -back world championships, winning three of them. First ever female to win all three IWWF World Water Ski Racing Championship categories. 
hats off to you, I say, because I know what it takes to make that sort of thing happen and it does not come easy. Um, so I just can't thank you enough for giving us the time and the listeners the time to, to listen to your journey, but also some of the struggles and some of the tears that have happened in the gym, um, some of the relationship screaming matches that would have happened after training sessions. It's not all sunshine and rainbows, that's for sure. And, um, you know, we, we love hearing behind the scenes of some of these amazing athletes in our sport. So thank you very much. I've had a great time chatting to you today and um, I can't wait until we can get you on that plane down to Victoria to have some fun with all of us girls again. Thanks, Charles. It was great to get on and kind of talk about my journey and kind of rehash some of the things that I've probably forgotten about. So thank you very much. And thank you for all the kind things you've said about me. <laughs> no worries. I look, uh, I look forward to uh, some good times ahead and watching you continue to thrive in the sport of ski racing, but also in the, uh, in the construction industry in your future project management career. So keep the head down, keep in the books. As I said, we all need to have half good careers to pay for the sport, don't we? So when mum and dad stop, it makes it a bit more challenging. I'd give you the hot tip. So yes, you, um, you enjoy, you enjoy your time. Say hi to all the loved ones up there. We're thinking of you all in Sydney. Hopefully we can get on top of this, um, this Sydney outbreak very quickly and it's all in the distant future and we all get back to life as usual and most important, get back to that adrenaline rush of, of water ski racing. Yes, that's for sure. Thanks, Charles. No worries. Look after yourself. Bye-bye. This episode of On The Road was brought to you by Coldies, Bull Bars and Tow Bars, Savage Force and Automation and Robotics Services. It was produced by Boris the Boxer Productions in conjunction with Bisho Media, Mel's Media and Bad Lad Productions.